So I'll try to be a little bit more upbeat, but no, no, I'm only teasing. It's good. You know what? I, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. Our choice would be to shield you guys from anything that wasn't happy and 100% positive and, and I want to be the cheerleader all the time, but that doesn't, that doesn't do right by us, the church, it doesn't do right by you. And there's nothing worse than somebody saying, gosh, I had no idea. So it is our, our heart to be transparent on those things. And that's why we encourage you guys to take the time and talk to us. And because we want you to know, so you can be part of that amazing testimony that we feel confident God has for us. And this is part, I think it really works well in what we're studying today. So we're in Mark and I am just going to tell you, I'm going to refer to my notes a lot because I have been adding stuff all morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit is just like all over me. So um, we're in Mark chapter 16 and uh, we're in verses 1 through 14, the resurrection. That's what I'm going to be talking about with you guys today. And so um, if you've got your Bible with you, get yourself to that area. If you're taking notes, the parallel accounts are in Matthew 28, Luke 24, and John 20. And um, it's so important to be familiar with those parallel accounts. So obviously, uh, we're, we're focused in, on Mark, but I'm going to bring in a number of things from those parallel accounts. And as I was studying this out, it really, some things really stand out to you. And, and something that I was, was reading, like a, an observation, I was like, you know, it's so true that the biblical scholars, those writers in general, they are not so concerned with time frames like we are, right? I'm like on my watch, it's like exactly this time, I've got my smartphone, we mark the exact time and date, the moment. It wasn't that way so much with them. So that can be kind of an interesting thing, right? Obviously they didn't have a, a smartphone or a watch. They were, you know, this happened at sunset, this happened at daybreak. Um, Mark, he doesn't even really write so much chronologically. So that can be a struggle for us today when we want things to be laid out in a certain way and with you know, no gray area whatsoever. But it doesn't work that way because each of the gospel writers had a specific purpose in mind for their gospel. So Mark, he uh, groups a lot of his writings Topically. So don't let that throw you. And I, I put that out there because often we are the ones in a conversation with somebody that asks us, well, why this or why that? And you don't have to memorize everything. You don't have to know everything about every word in the Bible because how awesome would that be, right? But when you're put on the spot, but you need to be familiar with those things. And that will open a conversation that is not hostile or whatever, it opens up an opportunity for you to be able to share something with somebody who might be struggling with reading the Bible because they haven't had somebody that would take that time with them. So it's important. Study is so amazing. We could study every day for the rest of our lives and we would barely touch the surface, surface of what God has for us. So we're talking about the resurrection, right? Um, and we're going to start in verses uh, 1 through 4 in Mark. And I'm going to break this down a little bit. We're going to talk, some things, talk about some things that I'm going to call housekeeping things in this. But then we're also going to talk about some things that the Holy Spirit just has been um, 
revealing to me constantly, just like a constant stream of stuff. And I just wish, I wish I could write fast enough to write it all down, but we're going to do our best, right? So these first four verses about the resurrection. So Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. So a few of the housekeeping things with this. When they talk about when the Sabbath ended, the reason that's important is because they couldn't have purchased those supplies during the Sabbath, right? They were obedient. They were obedient to what was expected of them. They understood the law. And so they followed that. They were obedient in that. And the reason that they grabbed these things, and Bob talked about this a little bit last week when we talk about um, Joseph and and, uh, Nicodemus bringing spices and those kinds of things as well for Jesus's body, the Jews did not embalm their dead bodies, right? So when they are doing this and they're anointing Jesus, this is an act of love. This is an act for his, his death, what they believed was his death, not to be common. And, you know, we look at the practical as far as, you know, the order of the odor of decay, what they would have been expecting. And they didn't want that. They wanted to honor Jesus's body, the body of Christ, they wanted to honor that. So that's why they're bringing these things to make sure that he has that special care and that special honor. And now the Marys that we're talking about, the women that we're talking about in this section, Mary Magdalene, they spell it out. Mary, or as Matthew calls her, the other Mary. I'm like, does that crack anybody else up? I'm like, first of all, if your name is in the Bible, there is... I mean, there's not a higher benchmark, but to be called the other Mary, it kind of cracks me up a little bit, right? She's also identified in the other scriptures as mother of James the Younger and Joseph um, and the wife of Clopas, also called Alphaeus in Luke 6.15. So again, this is where we're pulling in some information from the other gospels as well. Salome was the wife of Zebedee, the mother of the disciples James and John, and a female follower of Jesus. And Mark's gospel is the only one that mentions her by name. So now that we've got the housekeeping part of that out of the way, what is something else? So think about that. When you read that little section, what's something else that maybe stands out to you? For me, it's the fact that this is the only gospel that mentions that the women had a concern about rolling away a two-ton stone, right? I'm thinking to myself, if you and your friends are headed somewhere and you know there's a two-ton stone, right? I love Anne, right? You know, I love Sue, but they're not helping me roll away a two-ton stone, right? Mark and Scott are good, but they're not that good, right? And, and so maybe in the natural, in my reasoning mind, I would want to turn around and say, you know what? I need to figure this out first. But God knew that that was not their nature. Their love, their devotion, they were gonna keep going. They moved forward even though 
it really didn't look so good for them. You know, that it occurred to them. But what were they going to do? They didn't know, but that was okay. And God knew that that was their nature. He knew that they would not turn around. And so when they get there, what are they rewarded with? A miracle. The stone's already been rolled away. And so the Holy Spirit had me think about in my own life, and I want you guys to take a second to think about in your life, what is that two-ton stone that you've been afraid you couldn't roll away, that you've thought you were going to have to roll away instead of letting God take care of it? What is that two-ton stone? One of them for me, this right here. When I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, right, and I started going on insulin, I thought to myself, I am never going to be able to do anything and my life is over with. You know, I'm, I get nervous about coming up on stage and having a low blood sugar. This is why I have juice boxes. It's not because I'm 10, right? I have juice boxes <laughs> because that's, a, yeah. And, and God showed me, you know, that I didn't have to give up on those things that he had promised, that he has reason and he has purpose, even in these things. I don't believe that he gave me diabetes, but I believe and I know that he has used it over and over and over again so that I can encourage other people that just because this has happened to you does not mean that you cannot, you cannot have the promises that God has made you. He knew it was going to happen. He's made a way. He made juice boxes. I mean, so, and I make light of that, but it's the truth. It was a life-changing thing for me. And for you, it could be a job. It could be a marriage. It could be something that's in your past that is that two-ton stone that somehow you feel because you alone are incapable of moving it that it can't be moved at all. And then we come up to the very next part of that. You know, the stone being rolled away is awesome, but also, do you think it might have been a little bit terrifying? Right? So they're coming there. They're coming there with spices to anoint Jesus' body. So they're not expecting to find him alive. Right? And then this stone is rolled away. Would you not be a little bit hesitant to go in there? But they kept going. And so what's our next scripture? When we get to scripture uh, five here, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. So they kept going and they looked in there and they were rewarded again with an angelic interaction. Best day ever, right? And, and really, they probably thought in their minds, oh my gosh, the stone is rolled away. That, wow, I can't even believe that. And then they get this, this angel who tells them, look at you're looking for Jesus. He's not, he's not there. He's risen from the dead. You know, they probably thought the stone was a pretty big miracle, but here is something so far beyond what they even allowed themselves to think. And remember, it's not like Jesus wasn't telling them all along. As we have gone through Mark, 
we have seen over and over again where Jesus has told them what is going to happen and they still don't get it, you know? They're like, ah, they weren't sure what he meant by that. When he's not even talking in parables at that point, he's just saying it. So, so even with all of that preparation that Jesus did, their minds, because they're human minds, couldn't wrap around the possibility of what they were going to find. They were expecting to find him dead. So they go, the stone is rolled away, and then they go in and they get this angelic interaction where he tells them about Jesus being risen and he's, he's gone from there. So again, go back to your stone that you've had. Maybe that stone is still in place. Maybe you've rolled it away. Have you gotten to that second part of that? That second part where the stone's been rolled away, have you stepped in yet to see what Jesus has for you? Have you gone in there and asked him, what is going on? What's next? Because this angel, he tells the, the women what's next. So we're going to we're gonna go to seven. I know this is a little out of order for my guys on the AV, but go ahead and put up seven. And the angel says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the reason I wanted to go ahead and I just jump ahead because the Holy Spirit wants me to make sure that this is connected. So they got their, their miracle with the stone being rolled away, but they didn't stop there. They took that next step and gave God the opportunity to tell them what happens next. And this is where we have the choice on whether to be obedient or ignore what we hear from the Lord. there's also an extra part to this. So it points out that Jesus had told them in Mark that this is where he was going to meet them in Galilee, right? He's trying to, you know, these jarring their memories of this. But do we remember what else happened at that point in Mark 14? This is the same time that he predicted Peter's denial. So when we look at seven and it says, now... Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Do you think that's a sweet nod to Peter? A, a little nod, just letting them know. You know. We know when Jesus, before he was crucified, he locked eyes with Peter, right? He forgave Peter. But do you think that that made Peter feel like there was... Okay, Jesus didn't require anything else of Peter. But what do you think was in Peter's heart when that happened? Wasn't that Jesus said, you better make this right, you better do whatever. That wasn't where Jesus was. But do you think Peter as a human was like, oh my gosh, I've lost my chance. I've denied him and he's forgiven me and now I'll never be able to make this right. And we know that it is not about us making anything right, but God knows our hearts and that we sometimes need to have that closure to try to make something right. It's not about God's uh, inability to do something. It's about 
our inability sometimes to move on because God knows us better than anybody else. And you may think to yourself, because Mark was Peter's scribe, right? He's writing down these accounts from, from Peter as, as best that we can tell from historical documents and what we know about uh, the people in play. Some might think, was he mentioning it only because he was Peter's scribe, right? And Peter's like, yeah, this is what the angel said. But if we look at some of the parallel accounts, and I'm just going to read these to you. These aren't going to be up here. We can see that that's not the case. So Luke's reference, starting in verse 9, says, So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else. So when they say they rushed back to the tomb, they're talking about the women. What had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. In John, the account reads, starting in verse 3, Peter and the other disciple which John does the weird thing talking about himself in the third person all the time, right? Uh, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and I could just picture him just busting in there because we know that from his personality that we see. So Simon Peter arrives, he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Until then, we see all this time that they spent with Jesus and it took until then for, for all of that to come flooding back. And I know from my own experience, and I'm sure you guys have, that sometimes have you ever read something or somebody says something and a giant light bulb goes up over your head and you're thinking to yourself, I cannot believe it has taken my entire life to finally figure out what this means or what, you know, and... That could be in any, any type of thing, not just in, in the Bible, but often in the Bible, I feel like the Holy Spirit just has to hold on to something until we're ready to recognize it, and then he just reveals it, like a, just like throwing a, you know, the blinds down so all of it can come flooding in, and you're like, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? But the Holy Spirit knows that timing is everything. Timing is everything. So when we see that and we see Peter mentioned in those other accounts, I feel like it really makes me feel confident that Peter's second chance was important. When he's running there and, and looking in the tomb, what might have been going through his mind? I can't believe I'm going to get a second chance and I am not going to blow this second chance. And I am going to show my devotion, my love, my faithfulness to Jesus. Please let me have a second chance. And he got it. 
he could have run away. After he denied Jesus, he could have run away. He could have let shame and regret take over his life and just hit the road and been out of the picture altogether. But he did not do that. And he was rewarded with that second chance, a tangible second chance, a second chance that you would not normally get when somebody has died. He got that second chance. So what's a second chance for you? Think about an experience that's happened to you where you feel this has gone so far down this road, there is no way I can recover from this. This relationship is dead. This job is dead. There's no resurrecting it. That's a lie. You need to allow God to resurrect those things in your life. You need to ask the Lord, is this something that has a second chance in my life? Because he can do that. And when he does, you go running in to that tomb, man. And then you go running back out to find Jesus. And let him, let him do what he has promised. Peter didn't run away. He could have, but he didn't run away. So we come up to verse 8. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. But wait, what? Okay, this is where we get into a bigger piece of this housekeeping but I don't want us to get distracted by this, all right? So in your Bibles, if you are looking at this in Mark, look at what happens after verse eight. You might see some information that tells you that the most ancient manuscripts stop here, right at this point, and that later manuscripts have a short ending and a long ending. So what, why could that be? What, what's going on here? So there's a couple possibilities. And as I was doing my study, I would say that they're, they're reasonable possibilities. Some say that it was for, um, that Mark meant to end at that right there on verse eight, that it was a literary uh, st- a strategy he was using to evoke a reaction. Some say the ancient manuscripts got damaged and part of it was missing at the end. Um, Some say that Mark finished and then added that ending later, and that's why later manuscripts had it, and the most ancient do not. We're going to look at what those scriptures are, and then we're going to go back and we're going to say, try to decide whether or not we think there's a huge difference in the two different places that we would end at. So just bear with me as we look at this. And I want to say that the fact that that's pointed out in your Bible should make you feel good that it's important that the authenticity of the Bible is not just, you know, blindly, you know, blindly think this, blindly think this. They're pointing it out because authenticity is important. So the short ending, um, I'm just, again, I I think they're going to have this one on there. So the short ending of Mark is then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. And this is just put in as a, it's a continuation of that verse eight. And the long version, and I'm just gonna read through uh, 13 and then we'll hit 14, 
reads like this. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And that last part I want to just uh, throw out there, these men are often referred to the, as the men on the road to Emmaus. And there's in Luke a really good beefy section about that. And um, I'm going to point out in that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, the Luke story about these men, because it ties in with what we're talking about. So when Jesus encounters these men on the road to Emmaus, which I said, like I said, in Mark, it doesn't give a lot of detail. The men don't recognize Jesus as Jesus. It says that he appeared to them in another form. They just didn't recognize him for whatever reason. Think about what Jesus had been through before being crucified. I also believe that that, I mean, that is the picture that many people were left with, with Jesus, not somebody who's fine walking around talking to people. So Jesus goes with these guys on the road to Emmaus and they talk and these guys are excited, you know, and they're telling Jesus about the good news, not knowing who Jesus is. And when they stop and they're going to get ready for, to stop someplace for dinner, Jesus pretends like he's going to go on, but they're like, no, 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 come stay, have dinner with us. And when Jesus breaks the bread, he's revealed to the men and they recognize him. So this is, again, here are some men who weren't even part of Jesus's posse, so to speak, right? And they're evangelizing out there to this person that they meet on the street, and they're rewarded. They're rewarded with not only spending that time with Jesus, but having it revealed to them so that it can be solidified in their hearts what has happened and it just renews them even more to continue to share this information. It's important. And then we go to 14, right? So we see the women who go through all of this stuff even though they're not sure how things are gonna work. And, and they push through this, these fears that they might have. And then in verse 14, the disciples, however, Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. It would have been hard. Spending all that time with Jesus, I can see where the disciples would have been brokenhearted and overcome. But the women... And I, I know that a lot of times when this is taught, it's taught from the perspective of it was women because women would do that. Women would, you know, they'd have that mother instinct going and they'd have to go and check on Jesus. But I feel like it's whoever God chooses and that he saw their um, faithfulness and it was a way to reward that faithfulness. They could have been women, they could have been men, but they were willing, right? They were willing and they kept pressing forward. So when we go back to the housekeeping part of looking, 
does this, should this end at verse eight or should it not? I don't know how important I think that is because the things that are in that longer ending of Mark that's pulled out in your Bible to tell you that that's not in the most ancient manuscripts, those are all pretty much pieces through at least that 14 that we're talking about that are in the other gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John. So even if we, for whatever reason, right, you have somebody coming up to you and they're like, oh, this should have ended in eight, the Bible's not right, whatever. All right, ended in eight. Because the other gospels confirmed that those women did go to the disciples and they did tell them the message that the angel had given them and that Jesus was resurrected. And Mary Magdalene in the other, uh, in the other accounts, she encounters Jesus. She gets to encounter Jesus. She's brokenhearted, but she gets to encounter Jesus. And I feel like that was a reward. That was a gift for her, for her devotion and her willingness not to give up, not to ignore what has happened, but to move through what has happened. Peter didn't run when he failed and he was forgiven and got a second chance to prove his faithfulness and devotion. The women kept going and they were gifted a miracle, an angelic interaction. They weren't excluded from seeing the risen Christ, right? Their role is recorded for eternity in the Bible and they shared their story. So before we go into communion, I wanna ask you a few things that I want you to think about as we go into communion. And I mean, really think about them, right? Don't dial this in, really think about them. When have you continued forward when you had that two-ton stone in your way, right? When have you done that? What miracle have you been rewarded with when that happened? Really think about it. There's no such thing as coincidences when we're looking at these things. What miracle were you rewarded with? And have you shared that story with somebody else to encourage them to continue moving forward? Have you jumped at the opportunity for a second chance? When God gives you a second chance, do you let shame and regret keep you from moving forward, pride keep you from moving forward? Or do you jump at that second chance and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a second chance, a chance to get it right? And if you haven't, do it now. Do it now. Have that time, that testimony that you can share with someone and that you can encourage someone with. Don't let an ending happen because you were unwilling to press forward through something that was scary, uncomfortable, or embarrassing. Those women told that story. The men thought it was nonsense, right? I've shared stories, right? Stories of miraculous things that have happened in my life. And I could see the eye roll from the back of their head, you know, as I'm sharing this story. But that's okay. You want to know why it's okay? It's okay because when it finally happens to them, they're going to be like, I know that. I know that feeling. I know what she's talking about now. And I've got somebody that I can share that with. It's okay if somebody thinks I'm a nut. It's all right. Because having them think I'm a nut 
if that helps get them one more step closer to Jesus, that is worth it. It is worth it. I want everyone, I want everyone to feel the way I feel when I know Jesus is there for me every moment of every day. There is nothing like that. And it's a difficult thing to explain to somebody if they haven't experienced that for themselves. So don't keep it a secret. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't be embarrassed by something that you think is miraculous, but you don't think somebody else might. Share those stories. They're precious. They're precious. All right. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to take communion. I want you to be thinking about those things and just thanking Jesus so much for the opportunities that he gives us each and every day for those second chances. And as you come up, we've got Bob and I, and I think we have a second couple, Stan, okay, Stan Jackie, we'll be doing uh, wine and gluten-free crackers and bread up here at the front. And if you would like to serve yourself or your family and you prefer juice, we've got juice on the little stand over here. But just be praying about that. Just be praying about that. Who's, who would be encouraged by the story that you have to share? Amen.